We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com B-E. Teachers can't get what they don't have. And if you're not having a relationship with your admin, with your staff, with your colleagues, you might not be in a place where you're able to extend that to your kids. And when you're not having that relationship in the classroom, building a true safe community of learning, which to me is very professional. It's very professional to do that, to create the conditions optimal for learning is very professional. And one of those conditions is building relationship. And if you're not doing that in your classroom, I'm going to argue it's very unlikely you're doing that with your colleagues as well. Dr. Chris Jones here, and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Keisha McDonald currently serves as a complex area resource teacher for English learners in Kailua, Kona, West Hawaii. She is certified K-12 in health and has been a teen health teacher, a curriculum coordinator, test coordinator, Title I coordinator, and substitute teacher. She is a 2020 to 2022 Hawaii State Teacher Fellow and a 2022 NEA Foundation Global Learning Fellow. Keisha is the public school proud mother of two young men and a returned Peace Corps volunteer. She loves to travel and has moved 26 times. You can find her on Twitter at McDonald underscore Keisha or follow her travels on Instagram at what underscore high underscore C. I'm excited about having Keisha on the podcast today. I found her through Twitter and was looking at some of her things and her experience. It's clear that she has moved 26 times, her experience, and knower of all things, it seems, little facts. It's going to be a great conversation. So welcome, Keisha. Thanks, Chris. Good to meet you. (laughs) One of the things that came through loud and clear when uh, we were talking pre-chat, or I had you look at some of those pre-chat questions, were the idea of relationships. And I like your three R's, relationships, relationships, and um, relationships. So could you tell us a little bit about the importance of relationships in education and in working with our colleagues and things like that? Yeah, you know, it's funny. So I, you know, I came to teaching later to life. This this isn't my midlife career change. This is about my eighth career. So I only came into teaching at the age of 45 and, you know, having been around the world and done different things. And when I, when I started the job, I thought it was about the job. 
right? I thought it was about the training, teacher training and how to manage a classroom and how to manage your content. And I went into it full throttle, just thinking those were the skills I needed. And then once I got in the classroom and I tried that for a couple of years, I realized I actually had to scale back and go back to just kind of being a human being um, and dealing with other human beings. And as much as you are a history teacher or a health teacher or an administrator, it's about people. It's not so much about your content. It's not so much about, you know, a, a, the, the compliance, it's, it's definitely about the people. And if you start there, uh, that you'll, you'll, first of all, you'll be a better teacher, a better administrator. You'll have a lot more fun doing it. You'll be a lot more comfortable with yourself and others. And, you know, people will get what they need and, and you'll get what you need to stay in the profession, to stay healthy, you know, and to have that endurance and to keep going. So as much as, um, and again, I taught health, I taught teen health. I was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lady, you know, and I mean, if that is not intimidating, and I had my own children in my own class, by the way, if that is not intimidating, you know, nothing is. And I took it very seriously because obviously, you know, you're anticipating problems or issues or it's a, it's a, you know, it's a tough line to walk. So content was very important to me and doing it right and correctly and professionally was of course very important to me. But what I saw was until those relationships are built, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with anything, no matter what your content is. And then taking that to the larger arena of, as you mentioned, colleagues, right? Um, you know, it, it takes a village, to raise a child. And that includes in a, in a school community, it really does take the help and the knowledge and the awareness of your colleagues and, and how you all work together to really get that, that efficacy, you know, that true learning and that culture that we want to see at school. It's interesting that you talked about that. um, And especially with the colleagues, because there is the piece of, and I, I asked this one time in an interview because I always thought there was a distinct difference and I was interviewing somebody and they said their, their job um, as they saw it was to make sure they build a good rapport with the students and they stayed away from the word relationship. And when I asked them to explain that a little bit and what they see as the difference, they mentioned the idea that they wanted to build a rapport because of professionalism and they wanted to maintain that professional attitude as it were. Do you see a difference between rapport and relationships? And is, is one important, more important than the other? Or is it really we just need to think about building relationships in school? Forget the rapport, rapport thing because we're going, to be, we're going to be professional. But what about the whole idea between the two words? So to me, the difference, as you were saying, rapport kind of denotes this professionalism. So for me, I'll go back to the word community. You know, whether you're building community in your classroom, whether you're building community on your faculty, it's about safe spaces. It's about honoring each other. And and until you've done that, no one will innovate, take risks, you know, or, or be comfortable failing. And we need to fail. We all need to fail. That's the best way to learn. So I would say there is a difference. The other thing about this profession... <laughs> I always say, you know, I, it is a profession and we are professionals, but everything about what we do is personal too. And it, you know, teachers can't, it, it's personal, it's professional, it's, it's the whole enchilada, right? It's, it's holistic. I, you know, I always say teachers can't get what they don't have. And if you're not having a relationship 
with your admin, with your staff, with your colleagues, you might not be in a place where you're able to extend that to your kids. And when you're not having that relationship in the classroom, building a true safe community of learning, which to me is very professional. It's very professional to do that, to create the conditions optimal for learning is very professional. And one of those conditions is building relationship. And if you're not doing that in your classroom, I'm going to argue it's very unlikely you're doing that with your colleagues as well. So I, I see relationship as a step above rapport. And I do see it as necessary for, again, your well-being, your health, your mental safety, your physical safety, as we've seen, you know, in recent events. I, it's oh. just that building community takes relationship. Creating an institution takes rapport. And I want to work at a school community, not at an institution. I'm so glad you made that distinction because I, I couldn't get there with the institution and the community piece um, or, or doing that for our listeners. But what I was thinking was the idea that rapport is, strikes me as one way or relationship strikes me as two way. And I, you said that as well, that you get from, you get from being in a relationship. It's not just you giving. And clearly in our schools, we notice that cultures improve perceptions improve, attitudes improve, effort, all of those things that you want to talk about when those relationships are going back and forth because it's like a two-way street. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, you know, one thing I talked about in kind of our pre-prep was also the relationship to yourself, right? Self-awareness, um, self-monitoring, self-management, you know, relationship to self is also critical. It's a critical skill. And um, if we are working in an institution, I'm not sure that we are giving people an opportunity. And I say people, I didn't say students because we're all learners. We all need the opportunity to learn. And if we're working in an institution, we're not giving people the opportunity for that self-relationship, self-management. Um, and so that's a very critical piece to people evolving and learning and getting on with others. You know, like I said, there's relationship to the world. There's relationship to content. There's intercurricular content relationship. I mean, relationship covers so many things. And that's why I say it's just so critical and it's such an essential piece. And you can define it in many ways. But like you said, it involves a two-way piece that is, is so essential. So whether you're and collaborating with the science teacher down the hall and you're the math teacher and you're working on a joint project, that's relationship, right? And your kids are going to benefit from that. And to me, that's more than just rapport. And then awesome. that ability to, again, the ability to practice your own self-regulation, self-discovery, self-learning, self-satisfaction is going to be embedded in that relationship piece. You know, sitting here listening to you talk, it sounds like something that You've gained from experience over years and years and years of teaching, being in the classroom, being in schools and things like that. So you said that teaching you've come, you've come to as, you didn't say second career or midlife, you said like seventh or eighth. <laughs> but um, it's, I, I always find it interesting when people shift careers and they go into education, that there was something that drove them into education. It's not something like you just kind of, oh, you know, what the heck. Was that, is that true for you? Or was it an all like, what the heck type of thing? Uh, well, first of all, 
I'm a fifth year teacher, so I don't have yeah. years and years of teaching experience. No, I know that. That's why I find the answers that you're giving me about the relationships and everything. It, it clearly, it comes from a perspective, right? And so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm trying to peel back a little bit where that perspective may have come from and what, what brought you to education because right. it's a fresh voice. It's a voice that needs to be heard. And it's a perspective that needs to be heard. So part of me, part of the answer is there's been a part of me that's almost been a teacher my whole life, right? So, I mean, when I was a kid, I was a camp counselor. When I was a sophomore in college, I was a resident assistant. It was the first time they ever accepted a sophomore in college to be a resident assistant. So I was the dorm mom, you know, and I was counseling the the girls on my hall and uh, walking through the halls and making sure people didn't have open containers. And, yeah. um, I was a Peace Corps volunteer. And so I would walk to different villages. I was an agricultural extension volunteer. And so I would walk to villages and do demonstrations on agricultural practices and pre- food preservation. You know, I'm a mom, which kind of makes you a natural teacher. So part of my life has always had a teaching element to it. And then the second answer to that question is it was definitely, oh, what the heck? Nice. So nice. eight years ago, I moved to Hawaii after having lived out of the country for 20 years. Uh, I lived in Lesotho, Zimbabwe and South Africa. And I moved here with two duffel bags and two children. I had lived out of the country for 20 years. I did not know what I was going to do. And someone, I was working in a shop. (laughs) I was working at a retail store. And someone said, if you have a bachelor's degree, you can become a substitute teacher. So I took a 30-hour course and I became a substitute teacher. And then I was almost immediately put into a long-term substitute position. And then I thought, well, I'm a single mom with two kids and I'm still raising them and I need something that, you know, working retail hours was not fun. It was evenings and weekends and I couldn't always drive them to soccer practice. So again, this is a very practical thing for me. I became a teacher because it was a convenient profession for a single mom with two kids. And that, and so while I was doing the substitute teaching, someone pointed out, well, you're doing the work anyway. You might as well get certified as a, t- a teacher. So I did seek out an alternative training p- teacher preparation program. And I did a student teaching year and I became certified. So yeah, I, I don't, you know, my most unfavorite icebreaker and everyone does this, right? You get into a new group and like find a partner and tell them about your most inspirational teacher and how they inspired you to become a teacher, right? Everyone has, everyone's done that icebreaker. And I just, I don't have that story. I wasn't inspired by a single person or it it really is kind of a, a matter of circumstance and serendipity. And then Going back to my first half of the answer, there's always been this element, I guess, of learning and teaching all in one. So I love that answer. That's a fantastic answer. And it has, I mean, really, your 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 course has been full, your course in life has been full of teaching moments and, and things like that, where where it was almost a it was natural progression, maybe that was sitting there, but it just never kind of presented itself, which is really interesting. You so you, you talk about these different areas where you've been a teacher. And I, I love the idea that you included, you know, mom in part of that, because that's an important teaching role that oftentimes we overlook. And, and the um, hardest one. 
Then the hardest. Yes, and the hardest one. Because it means the most. If my wife's listening to this, you just saved me. But no, the the um the and the hardest one. I I would agree most definitely. But you know, really rewarding as well. So you take these experiences that you've had of teaching. You you step into this role, and you said you started with like focusing on the content piece first and how content and classroom management and, and all those things out of your teacher prep program that you learned. Was there something that made you change the way you were approaching things? Was it something from your past that made you switch over to the idea of, hey, this works if I have relationships? To be honest, I think, as I mentioned before, a lot of it was influenced by the fact that I had my own children in my room. And because I was raising children of about the same age, at the same time, it helped me to see the importance and how, you know, we all talk about that moment, right? When the light bulb goes on. And so when you think of it, when they understand something, quote unquote. So for me, the relationship equivalent of that light bulb moment is the click, right? Yeah. Like when you see that that student likes you <laughs> and they're going to listen to you and they're engaged and they're invested and they're involved. And what I noticed was, you know, I would have, so I'd be driving my kids to soccer practice, for example, and it would either be just them or them and a friend or two in the car and we'd have conversations. And I would go back to the classroom and maybe I would bring up something that I learned from that conversation in the car. And I would see the kids just like literally look up at me and they would say, how do you know that, miss? Right. And I think, you know, a few, almost to the point where, you know, I didn't want to be, I'm sorry, teachers. You know, I don't try too hard to be hip with the kids, right? Like, I don't believe in this whole completely adopting, you know, all the trends or whatever, because that's just a little bit much. I mean, I am a 51-year-old woman, and it really is not seemly for me to try to use all the lingo and do all the things. But when I would mention something, whether it's a song or a website or an app or something, and the kids would literally just look up at me and say, how do you know that? And sometimes it got to the point where almost uncomfortable. I feel really bad. Kids would look at me and say, I wish my mom was more like you. And I did not want to hear that. I did not want to be in that position as a mom. But as a teacher, I knew from that point on that they were with me. You know, and when I had to talk about difficult things like STIs (laughs) or how to take care of your body or whatever, I knew that they were with me and that they were comfortable with me and that what, uh, however awkward or weird my content was going to get, we were going to be okay. So I think raising my children of a similar age at the same time while I was in the classroom was what helped me to really see that importance of knowing your students, knowing who's in front of you, letting them know that you know what's important to them that you see them, that you're not just blowing them off. Like, oh, you shouldn't spend your time doing that. Or, oh, that's not important. Or, oh, I'd wish you do something. Like as a mom, right? You sometimes get caught up in that. Like you need to do your chores. You need to clean your room. Are you doing your homework? And you don't take the moment to really see your child's likes and dislikes and loves and passions. But when you stop to do that in a classroom and you notice those things, the kids respond. And then, like I said, no, from that point on, no matter where else you go, they're with you. 
and you can go together. That was really powerful. I'm I'm so glad you uh, you talked about that and talked about how those relationships really do come about and how much they actually mean. You know, because sometimes we get caught up in the idea of I need to build relationships or I want to build relationships because that's going to make my class work better. Or as a leader, I want to build relationships because that's going to make the building better. Instead of the idea of I want to build relationships because that's what other people need instead of, you know, the own self-serving end. So it's, it's really important that you pointed that out. You pointed out a lot of things. Yes, you said a lot of things that have me wondering, but what I want to do is when we come back from a quick sponsor break, I want to talk to you about the role a leader could play in getting that to happen or how a leader could have supported you or engaged you in that work as you went along and discovered that. And maybe what your idea of a school that is firing all, on all cylinders, so to speak, or the perfect school would look like as soon as we get back. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The Mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, and we're back with Keisha, and we were just having a real serious portion of the discussion about teachers building relationships and making sure that they build those because they see the students for who they are, for what they are. And, you know, after all, who doesn't want to be seen as a person, as an individual, as a human being? So I really appreciate you for that, Keisha, and bringing that up. But what I did mention is, you know, you started out with content, as we had mentioned before, and making sure the classroom management piece, the content piece, before you slid over into the relationship piece and discovered that, is there a way that leaders, for all the leaders listening to this, is there a way that leaders could have supported you in that transition or facilitated that for you so maybe you got to it quicker or maybe you weren't so focused on the strict structure of a classroom before you needed to move over to that and discovered that? I think the idea of, you know, we talk about acid. Well, so I work with English learners, right? And in that whole field, a large discussion is about asset mindset, asset-based learning versus deficit. You know, don't look at people who speak another language as a deficit, as a barrier, as a challenge. It's like, wow, that is amazing. You can speak more than one language. Like, you're incredible, right? And so the whole idea of strengths-based development is, I think, incredibly important Yeah. In our pre-chat, you asked about my superpower, right? And 
at some point as a faculty, we did the StrengthsFinder 2.0 activity where there's a book and you do a test. And, and I, I think that really did have a big impact on me when you when your leader, when your admin, when your department chair, you know, when they see your strengths and they give you feedback on that and they, you know, comment, they see you, they praise you. And if maybe they feel like you're not using it to the best advantage in your teaching, maybe give some gentle suggestions of how to use that strength because that strength in expanding your professional practices, right? Because that strength is a natural place to be. And then the trick is when you're in your comfort zone, you might not want to stretch yourself, but if that stretch piece is when it, it conjoins with your professional practices and you see that growth part, part, right? So I think if I did have a principal who just absolutely believed in me and made it very clear and did give me opportunities for learning and opportunities for failure. And only when I felt that support did I really start feeling more confident as a teacher and more confident as a teacher leader on campus and what kind of part I could play both in my classroom and in my larger community. So. I think for leaders to help people get to that point where the relationships are the most important thing, you know, they model that their relationship and it's hard and there's time. And I know a lot of people want FaceTime with um, admin and it's just, it's hard to get it. Uh, so whether you can, you know, schedule like check-ins or, and in a very non-evaluative way, right? You don't want to just only see your teachers when you're doing their yearly assessment for how well they're teaching or giving them a job evaluation or so, you know, model, 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 if you're having good relationships with your people. And again, relationships doesn't mean you're touchy feely, like lovey dovey. It just means you see them, you know what their strengths are. You can comment on their strengths. And then, you know, like I said, if they're in a position where there's kind of a teachable moment or a coaching moment to maybe point out how to use those strengths to just get even better or to parlay that into their teaching practices so that they're already on a, a plane of comfort and strength uh, moving forward versus this deficit like, oh, you know, I'm looking at your data and I can see that you need to pick up this or work on that. Like that's not going to help anybody because they're going to go... Teachers are like perfectionists, right? We all know this. <laughs> Most teachers. So, you know, they're going to go home and they're going to take that to heart and they're going to tear themselves apart. Where when you can point it out from a strengths lens or a strengths focus, they're going to feel that ability to get to where you want them to go. Perfect. That's, um, so that makes me think, right? We talked about how the leader steps in or helps that um, transition for teachers to move from the strict to the relationship and doing that by modeling. You've talked about how you work with kids in the classroom. What would your, or what do you think school should look like for teachers and students? If I were to walk into your school and, you know, it was, it was set up the way you wanted or operating the way you wanted or thought was best for students, what would that look like? Right. So when I was you know, when you're first teaching, you're just struggling and you're just surviving. And you're not doing very well. You're just like getting by. But when I started getting a little bit of a foothold, I did go and start looking at our 
resources, right? What is our vision? What is our mission? Uh, what is out there? And I came upon the Hawaii Department of Education vision of Hawaii students are educated, healthy, and joyful lifelong learners who contribute positively to our community and global society. And when I first read that statement, the thing that really struck me was joyful, lifelong learners. I was like, wow, this is mind-blowing. The expectation, the vision is that we should be joyfully learning, you know? And I think, again, as a mom, listening to the students grumble in the morning and walk in with their, you know, Starbucks and complain about being at school. I was always wondering like, where's the joyful? Where's the joy? And so when I think of what a school should be, a perfect school looks like, feels like, sounds like, it is a joyful space of learning. You know, it's a place where, like I said, people's strengths are recognized and they are given help to use those strengths to overcome those challenges, right? It's broken down for them, it's chunked for them, and it's a doable thing so that they are supported until they get over those hurdles. You know, there's creative and collaborative problem solving, like relationships, right? Like working, the math teacher and the science teacher working together to come up with something that's going to be joyful and interesting and engaging. So... Yeah, when I think about the perfect school, it is a joyful place of learning. And it's like we've been saying this whole conversation, it's holistic, right? It's not just content driven. It's not like I am now downloading academic information on you because as we all know, we could go onto Google anytime and get any amount of information. So what is going to elevate school to being a joyful place, right? And that's where, again, this whole self relationship, self-discovery, self-management being developed, um, relationships being developed to work collaboratively and, and communicatively and empathetically. And so for me, a school is busy developing those skills rather than what can I just download into your brain to make you pass the test. Cool. That sounds like a good school to be in. <laughs> yes. It, and again, as a mom, I would love for my yeah. children to attend a school like that, right? I would love to to feel that when you walk into work. I mean, I feel that when I walk into work every day because I love learning and I yeah. and I do it on my own, but I would love for the other, you know, 800 people in my learning community <laughs> to to feel the same. So, that would be the ideal school for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've, you've almost come to the end of this, uh, this conversation, but I have two questions I have to ask you that I ask every single person that um, appears as a guest here. So the first one is if you were not an educator, who, not what would you be? Right. So as I said, there's always been threads of education through my life. And another thread besides travel, like I said, I've moved 26 times I love travel, um, is service, just, you know, service. So again, whether that was volunteering, whether that was, you know, serving in a leadership capacity, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, you know, and I do plan to actually, when I leave education and go back and do it again as a septuagenarian or however old I am at the time. So who I would be is, you know, again, a person of service, so I I can see myself maybe working for the national parks or being like a docent in a museum because you can be in service to 
people. You can be in service to heritage. You can be in service to information. You can be in service. You know, there's so many ways to be in service. You could be in service to the environment, right? So yeah, I see myself, if I were not currently a teacher, as somehow still being a person of service. Nice. I, I never looked at the idea of service like that before. Boy, I'm, I'm learning so many things and different perspectives just talking to you. When you say in service of, right, I always jump to the idea of you're serving somebody. I never thought of it as serving like an ideal or like you said, heritage. That's, that's so important for the environment and things like that. So thank you for that. The next question, the last question is for all those leaders out there uh, of both teachers and of students, what's the most important thing uh, you think a leader needs to know or understand as they work to better support, engage, and empower those they serve? Right. Yeah, this is a great question. I am (laughs) obsessed with leadership. And there's so many people out there, right? There's books and there's podcasts and there's so many people. It's hard to say that I can improve on anything that's already out there. Um, As we've discussed, relationships are important. Listening is important, right? That's how you see people, as we've talked about, creating that environment, that culture where it's okay to fail and try. It's okay to be curious, um, focusing on that growth, right? The progress, the asset mindset versus a deficit mindset. But the area that I think is has grown in importance in my own awareness is definitely the idea of shared leadership. So like you're talking about a leader needs to empower people, but I'm saying when there's shared leadership, you know, it's, there's no, it's not like I'm bestowing this ability onto you. I'm empowering you, right? Like it's, we're all in this together. We're all sharing. So, you know, when you've really waxed leadership and you've really got it down, um, you're going to see those shared leadership structures. There's no empowering or giving permission to lead. People are just getting on with it. So like I, you know, think about walking into a classroom and maybe there's little tables or there's pods or there's stations. And, And when that's going on, there's little small groups chatting and there's collaboration and there's learning and you're seeing the light bulbs popping. It might take you a minute or two to find the teacher in the room. You know, and to me, that's shared leadership. Like you're looking around the room and then, you know, you're, oh, there she is or there he is. And then you finally realize who the teacher is. And to me, that is like the ideal level of shared leadership that I want to see. I know as I've progressed in my own journey as a leader, I, to me, it's, it's learning. Leadership is learning. You know, like I know in the, um, the UK, they say I'm the lead learner. You know, I'm the head teacher. There's no such thing as the principal or whatever. I'm the head teacher. So I'm still a teacher. I'm the lead learner. And I just know that we all learn when we lead. And so shared leadership is such a wonderful learning opportunity for everybody. So don't hog it because <laughs> you don't want to be the only one learning. You know, you want everyone to be learning. Um, and that's why shared leadership is so important. That's fantastic. And nice connection to titles and England and why they do that and, and things like that. Look, Keisha, I've enjoyed talking to you so much today. Um, I've taken away a couple of different perspectives at least and some some uh, tidbits of information. Uh, I can't imagine that people listening to the podcast haven't done the same. So what's the best way to reach out and get in touch with you if anybody wants to talk further or learn more? 
Um, I mean, I'm pretty active on Twitter as I mean, you, that's how you found me, right? Yeah, so yeah. I, it's funny, I just posted a poll and I said, you know, are you going to be as active on Twitter in the summer as you would be in the school year? I, uh, in Hawaii, we just ended our school year on Friday it was our last day of work and wow. it, I've officially entered my summer. Um, and so I will be maybe not as active on Twitter in the next little while, but I'm usually very active on Twitter. That's probably the best way to find me. So that's just my, you know, last name underscore first name. Um, I am on Instagram. I've not yet tried to do the TikTok thing. I did it once or <laughs> twice and my, my kids were kind of like, oh, that's a bit cringy. Don't do it. So yeah. So Twitter's definitely the best place, but I am on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. You know, I'm on Instagram. Instagram tends to be more personal behind the scenes life. So professionally, uh, Twitter's definitely the place. Cool. And I'll, I'll definitely um, put that in the show notes so that people can just click it and, and find your message or do whatever they want to do. And I am open, you know, again, I'm open. Like my DMs are open. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, that, I love Twitter. It's so egalitarian, right? Like you can comment on an author's book and they'll get back to you. And I, right. I just love, it's such a wonderful place of connection for me. So um, I am absolutely open to random requests or um, inquiries. It, I'm, I, you know, it doesn't like frighten me or scare me or I don't get stranger danger or anything. So <laughs> anyone's willing to, anyone's able to reach out. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. You've said a lot of great things today. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at Jones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com B-E.